Let's pray together, please. Shine in our hearts, Lord Jesus, and illumine the dark places where we are afraid to look at who we are and who we have become. And by your grace and mercy, allow us in this hour of worship to trust you more, to see you more clearly, to hold this gospel as the power and the salvation of the world. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for the gift of community, for this particular hour where your children are gathered here and in churches around our city. May we be nurtured and warmed in faith to your glory, that your kingdom may come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. Amen. Members of this church are used to hearing uh, outlandish things said from the pulpit uh, on a regular basis. Sometimes it's from the preacher, but oftentimes it comes out of this book we read from. Where we hear things that in any other setting we would consider absurd, preposterous, completely off the grid. With the news this week of the Alabama football fan who killed another Alabama fan for not being sad enough when they lost to Auburn last week, surely we must hear these words that Emily read at the beginning of the hour as utterly preposterous. When the wolf and the calf live together, when the leopard and the goat lie together, what is that? Well, that's nothing but hyperbole, exaggeration. And maybe it is. Maybe it is. But maybe this hyperbole is used to convey to you and me a central point of what this whole gospel enterprise, this whole life we've been given is all about. What if, what if the goal of God was a world where primal enemies like uh, wolves and calves and leopards and goats are somehow reconciled and redeemed and transformed into a world of harmony. Is that possible? What if the song of the angels that we love to, to quote at Christmas time, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, what if that's more than just Christmas nostalgia? What if those are basic operating instructions for how we humans are called to live in this world? If we'll give glory to God, that is to live in humility before the creator and sustainer, the, the, the future of all that is. If we'll live in humility, then there will be peace on earth between persons. What if the purpose of life, our lives, is to promote peace in its many forms? We can talk about peace with creation, the environment. We can talk about peace between nations, between races, between religions, between political points of view, between classes and ages. 
talking about peace where you work or where you go to school or where you live. We might be talking about peace within our church in the midst of conflict to be instruments of peace. We might be talking about our particular families of origin or the families we live in now. You might be, we might be talking about peace between couples. Or we could even be talking about peace within yourself. That peace that passes all understanding, that allows us to breathe and live and find comfort in our own skins. What if that's the point of life? And what if the purpose of faith, the reason we got here this cold Sunday morning, is to orient us each week, to reorient us back to this sacred path of peace, so that for us the abundant life, to be born again, to repent, in John the Baptist's words, is not just talking about the particularities of our life as much as it talks about being our brother's keeper, our sister's keeper, to use the words from that ancient story in Genesis. What if that's what the abundant life is? Paul said to the Ephesians, Christ is our peace. He's broken down the dividing wall that separates us from each other. What if the gospel, when we came in here each week, reignited in us this call to live and be people of peace out in the world, ambassadors, or as Francis would say, instruments of peace. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. What if the most important outcome of our life is not how much we acquire or how much education we have or even how happy we are or how easy our life is or even how long our life is, but what if the most important outcome of our life is to step into this instrument of peace work? What if God is peace? What a peace is God. I recognize that in a sense, uh, we wait for the fulfillment of Isaiah's vision. I understand fully, as much as you do, that we're in the not yet time. And frankly, we get frustrated. I read Michelle Vaughn's uh, blog her devotional entry in our church advent devotions this morning she wrote i get tired of waiting i want everything to be the way it should be the wonderful way that things are in the songs that we sing during the season joy to the world peace on earth angels singing wise men searching but that's not always the way it is and yet we don't wait passively we wait purposefully We wait proactively. We prepare the way for peace on earth. In fact, I would say to you that anyone who would take that passage from Isaiah and simply say it's about the future someday when the kingdom comes in all its glory, I would say 
They're just being lazy. They're just trying to get out of work. For the call is for today. Yes, we wait for something that has not yet arrived, but we wait purposefully and we wait actively. Those who have ears to hear know that our Advent theme, what are we waiting for, is not only a plaintive hope for the future, but said and heard differently has a whole different meaning. What are we waiting for? As in, let's get going. Let's step into, what's to stop us? What are we waiting for? When will we live into this call to be the people of God now? This is what Nelson Mandela said. He had but one life to live. You realize this. He was a human being just like you. He would have preferred to sit at home and be near the fire and have his family close by. But he heard the call for justice for his people, not just black Africans, but white Africans. And it called him into this way of peace. He said with his very life, what are we waiting for? Mandela said, if we want to make peace with our enemies, we must work with our enemies and allow allow our enemies to become our partners. And so in 1990, when he was released from prison after 27 years of being imprisoned for demanding justice, when he came out of that prison, his spirit was not one of retaliation or revenge. It was a spirit of reconciliation, of peacemaking. He wanted to make South Africa, for all of the world, a beacon of this peace, forgiveness, and unilaterally disarming. He knew. The Spirit of God spoke to him and said, it's going to take your life. He knew that, as Walker Knight, one of our great Baptist statesmen said, that peace like war must be waged. Waged. We know that Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace admirers or the peace agreeers, but the peacemakers, those who actively work in this world of peace. It's what Mandela did, it's what John the Baptist did. His harsh words to the Pharisees wasn't simply him blowing up before them, he was calling them to wake up. Wake up. You're like a brood of vipers. Is that who you're called to be? You're not called to be a brood of vipers. You're called to bear good fruit in this world. For all the bad fruit and the trees that don't, they're going to get left behind. That's not your calling. That was Jesus' mission as well. That's why they called him the Prince of Peace. That's why they called him the one who would take away all of the sins of the world. We're not just talking about little misdeeds. We're talking about the violence and the fear and the evil that creates this unpeace. Unpeace. Today we remember the murder victims from Louisville, Kentucky in 
2013, those people who experienced the ultimate degree of unpeace at the hands of another human being. It's a terrible thing. But we remember them this morning, not in some haughty, judgmental way, not to say, look at those poor people, but rather to call their names and value their life and long for peace. This morning we want to remember not only the murder victims, but as hard as this is, I want us to hold before God the murderers. Jesus told us to love our enemies, to hold those people who are so filled with this unpeace that they would take another human life and then simply to remember that there are occasions when we are the victim and there are those occasions when we are the perpetrator with what we say, with what we do, with how we vote, with how we look and act and react. And, oh, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. What am I waiting for? And so today, you rolled out of that warm bed under this cold day and made your way to this place. Why are we here? Why are we here? I know why I'm here. I'm here each week to be trained. I'm here to be instructed. I'm here to be reminded and conditioned by this way. Six days a week, the world is telling me another message. But on this, the first day of the week, I gather with you so that we can remind each other of who we are and what our calling is. I come into this place to experience the grace of God. Because I know that when I receive grace, I'm more gracious with others. So I come to experience that grace and the miracle, the miracle of God's transforming love revealed in Jesus. We gather in this place to join the Advent revolution of peace. What are we waiting for? Why not now? Why not me? Why not you? Let's pray together. Lord, make us instruments of your peace because of Jesus Christ and because of our saying yes to his love, we have been transformed and called. And so, O Lord, make us instruments of your peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, we pray. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.